If you're a small business owner looking to grow or expand your business, check out OnDeck Business Loans. OnDeck offers business loans online from $5,000 to $500,000, and their simple application process only takes 10 minutes. Unlike banks, they'll give you a decision quickly, and funding is as fast as one day. Get a free consultation with an OnDeck loan advisor. Visit OnDeck.com podcast. This is the Customer Equity Accelerator, a weekly show for marketing executives who need to accelerate customer-centric thinking and digital maturity. I'm your host, Allison Hartsoe of Ambition Data. This show features innovative guests who share quick wins on how to improve your bottom line while creating happier, more valuable customers. Ready to accelerate? Let's go. Welcome everybody. Today's show is a great place to start or restart listening to the Customer Equity Accelerator podcast because I am going to summarize the methodology behind this podcast. What does customer equity need? What does it matter? Why should you care? And how does that connect to CLV marketing? I'll explain this and more in the first part of our show today. Then I'll include references to previous guests of the Customer Equity Accelerator who have shared the ways that they have supported and benefited from this strategy. I've had some very generous guests, I can tell you. And finally, I'll let you in on the theme that I have planned for you next. So let's go. Let's begin with a brief summary of the core beliefs behind this podcast. Now, the main idea is that your customers are more empowered than ever before, and that has direct financial impact on your business. Now, generally speaking, your business is blind to this, and the opportunities abound everywhere to increase your business performance, to reduce your spending, to increase innovation. Uh, in general, we're seeing numbers from seven to 140X the spend. In other words, if it costs $100,000, you might get $700,000 return. These are actual numbers cited by people who have been on the show. So more on this in a minute. Now to clarify, by customer, I actually mean anyone who transacts with you. So it could be a business or consumer. That means B2B or B2C or even B2B2C. Internally, you may call them customers or players or fans or healthcare providers or patients. We use the generic term customer to cover them all. and you can have more than one set of customers who transact within your company. So for example, a hospital might have healthcare providers and patients, and they're thinking about them in two different ways. Now by transact, I mean the actions that they take to generate revenue for your company. That doesn't always mean it's an online purchase. Going back to our hospital example, doctors who refer cases to a hospital are a source of non-e-commerce revenue. Now, believe it or not, there are some situations where understanding the future value of each customer 
and their transaction, their, their desire or ability to transact with you doesn't actually matter. Here are a couple of reasons why this might not be the right show for you. One, you have only a few customers. These customers you haven't known very long, you don't have much information about them, you don't have much depth, and you're just happy as a clam with those customers. Fine, this is probably not the show for you. Number two, if your business is brand spanking new, you may be in the same case where you only have a few customers. Now, by all means, listen and learn, and they, these may be strategies that you can employ in a year or two, but they probably won't be strategies if you are brand new. In that case, you wanna look at customer acquisition cost as your primary metric, and everything else around it will be growing towards customer lifetime value. If your business is all about the price, so uh, this is kind of a Walmart example. Uh, you know, first and foremost, everybody picks you because you have the lowest price out there. Um, you're not gonna get as much bang for the customer lifetime value buck as you would if you're not all about the price. It's not that price doesn't have an effect. It just means that if your sole unique selling point is we have a lower price than anybody else out there, then this might not be the right strategy. Last, if your business is a monopoly, then the ability to execute customer lifetime value, customer-centric strategies will be helpful. But if you're a monopoly in the first place, it's really just a great way to defend your position, a la Amazon. Uh, it's not necessarily a way to um, grow against the competition, which you've already squashed if you're a monopoly. So primarily, this podcast is aimed toward people who are in competitive spaces. So if your company fits one of these categories, it's okay, you can stop now. I might be generating a whole lot of hope that results in frustration for you. But if you are a, a person who works at one of the thousands of competitive businesses in retail or technology, finance, fintech, healthcare, insurance, many, many, many more, then my hope is this show will accelerate your career alongside the performance of your company. So with that, let me go a little bit deeper. When I say customer equity, I'm talking about knowing individual customers who represent a certain amount of future value to your business. So an example might be, um, the customers who have transacted with you represent a future value of 70, 100, 500 million dollars. And you know that this is locked up in the customer base, but the question is, how do you get it out? So the goal is to draw a bright line between the many touch points of customer interaction across your company and starting with marketing and the ability to unlock that value. Now imagine for a minute that you walk into a retail store. Let's take REI for example. And I am thinking particularly about REI because I'm getting ready to go on a backpacking trip. And I don't have any backpacking gear. 
So typically what happens when I walk into REI is I'm greeted by a lot of friendly, often very knowledgeable salespeople who try to guide me to whatever it is it seems that I want. And the same philosophy often occurs online. One site for all, lots of different ways to route you to what you want, but it's basically a product-centric view of the world. I have products, let me help you buy them but I don't really know much about you personally. So the salesperson doesn't know what I bought. They don't know much about me. They don't know what I need. They're just trying to kind of guide me based on what I tell them to a specific product, fine. But a customer-centric view of the world is, I want to be of service to you. And if I can help you, then you'll become a good customer for me in the long run. Now again, REI, I'm there this time for a backpacking class, and I want to learn how to pack a backpack effectively. In this process, as I learn about how to pack a backpack, I will also learn that I need specific products, like maybe multicolored bags to separate items within my backpack. Great, they happen to be here at REI. Well, thank you for being of service to me. I've had a good experience. That's a great way to go and when everybody talks about customer experience online they're kind of imitating this idea and they're imitating the content first strategy and you know they're they're getting toward how can i be of service that's a great step but let's take it up a notch in order to include customer equity now imagine that when i walk in the store or appear on the site rei already knows what i've bought how much i've bought and how often and now it enables them to operate like a small business, but at scale. And the salesperson says, hey, Allison, how's that backpack you bought last month working out for you? Do you want to think about that duck back to protect it in the rain? Were you out in that massive rainstorm that happened at the beginning of June? Well, yes, in fact, I was. And yes, in fact, that's exactly why I came in today. Now, in real life, this raises privacy concerns because you have to recognize the person and that means facial recognition and that raises a whole bunch of privacy concerns. I'm not gonna go there. But online, it's very possible and it's much easier to do. So by using customer lifetime value, I can mimic that small town, comfortable personalized service without being too creepy. I can focus on people who frequently buy and treat them differently from folks who haven't been around in a long time. This affects acquisition, engagement, retention of customers, but most of all, it reduces the marketing waste that we all hate and increases innovation as well as revenue for the company. So it's a win-win all the way around. So customer equity is about drawing that bright line between you as an individual customer and the actions that you take how in and how intelligently your company becomes of service to them, takes specific actions in order to please both your customers and your shareholders. Now let's move on to the core principles. To be a customer equity accelerator, you first need two things. One, you need a data-connected view of the customer. And two, you need the ability to act on it. Sounds like 101. Sounds like all I ever needed to know I learned in kindergarten, right? 
it <laughs> I'd love it if it were that easy but it's still a modern miracle when any company can get these parts to align just picture a boat where everyone has an oar and they're rowing in different directions that is exactly the state of data in most companies and getting them rowing in the same direction is exactly what we're trying to achieve CLV, customer lifetime value, is that shining beacon of light that we want everyone to row toward. Why? Because you have to get results. You have to show wins. And companies that have done this are seeing returns from 7x to well over 100x of what they spend. If you want to hear more about that, you can listen to previous episodes, including Jose Murillo's story. He's the chief analytics officer at Banorte Bank. Ash Duper's story, who is the chief analytics officer at Publishers Clearinghouse. Zach Anderson's story, who is the chief analytics officer at Electronic Arts. Or Jeff Gardner from Staples, who just went out on our podcast last week. We're talking serious superpowers with this, folks. The data-connected view of the customer is really, as I said, it's the first step. So the names I just gave you are all related to end results. If you want to hear more about the challenges for getting that data-connected view of the customer, then you should listen to The Foundations of Customer Equity. That's an episode that Lauren Hadley, who works for Ambition Data, and I recorded. Uh, He talked about some of the best practices and challenges of digital tracking and governance, and basically how to hear that customer signal in the digital noise. This is table stakes. You got to have this in order to get to the upper levels. You can also listen to Bob Page, who is, I I think, a great Silicon Valley legend, a lot of fun to talk to. He talked about empowering big data, and it's based on his experience with Yahoo and eBay and Hortonworks, where he talked about how things work when you have to prove the ROI of large systems and you face the challenges of innovation. So you get hold of the data. Now what are you going to do with it? How are you to prove that it has value. So one story he talks about is the effect of rolling out A-B tests and then finding out that the customer service folks could no longer help callers who were part of the tests. The service agents didn't know about the test. They couldn't see what the callers saw. These are scale problems. Um, you know, so you finally get that holy grail of everybody rowing in the same direction and then, oops, you know, we didn't think about that. Another story he shares is about knowing the customer lifetime value of customers at eBay, but realizing that they just had to go so much further to get to the behaviors that drove those transactions. Now that's similar to what Joe Megabo talked about in his episode, where he talked about academics versus reality. He talked about the challenges of uniting customer data when you have eight different databases who all have different definitions and different data views of the customer. And Joe has done this, uh, gosh, he was at Expedia ages ago, and then he was at uh, American Eagle. So he really knows his stuff when he's talking about how to bring all this stuff down and how how to get results with it. 
It further stresses the impact of confounding factors where you might have two forces that drive the data in opposite directions, but without a little bit of customer voice, that summarized number might look no different than before. So you have to actually talk to your customers to figure out what it is that is driving their behavior. And finally, when we think about thinking deeply, Brooks Bell emphasized the need to go deep in those hypotheses and think about the contributing behaviors when we do testing. Now, when it comes to taking action on the data, testing is often a really great way to get that off the ground. Uh, Pete Vader mentioned that in his talk about great ways to roll out CLV within an organization. We talk about small wins and you know the first steps of getting it stood up, getting it out the door. You have to know what the number is, then you have to start to take actions. Well, those actions are basically tests. We're gonna we're gonna try it. We're gonna see what it says. And likewise, Brooks Bell, who did a whole episode on experimentation, encourages us to think deeply when we do that testing. Uh, she talked about thinking through all those causes that might be contributing to behavior in order to form a deeper logical testing strategy. And it's my belief that again, CLV helps you get very clear about what is important within the framework of any test, any experiment, any analysis, or any report. Also in the vein of acting on the data, we had Bob McKinney from Batteries Plus Bulbs who talked about how he pins it all together in order to arm the front lines, particularly how it helps to prioritize opportunities for his sales force. We had Laura Bowden from Bain as well stress the math and the magic that has to come together when we look at the completeness of the view. So from her session, we learned that when you're taking action, it's not just about the data and it's not even just about the data plus the qualitative customer voice, that there's a certain degree of creativity or innovation or magic that goes into the completeness of the customer view. And that kind of brings us back to the beginning of the philosophy. How can you be of service to the customer? What is it that they really want or need from you? Asking the right customers can be driven by CLV, but knowing what to give them is part of the creativity and the magic that doesn't necessarily appear in the data. Now, I have noticed that many analysts and many people who I interview on this show are digging deeply to get to fantastic insights and fantastic ways that they can use this information. But the ones who do the digging are not always the ones who pull the trigger. And that means that your most important people on your team are two people. One is the factory foreman. Uh, This is the person who cues up the analysis factory. What's gonna happen first, second, third? Which part of the organization are we gonna respond to? In what order? And that's a challenge that companies who are more mature, who have uh, started to develop testing at scale and analysis at scale, insights at scale face. 
The second most important person, or perhaps most equally important, is the one who communicates the insights. And this is what we're going to be talking about in August. You must have somebody on the team who can bridge the gap between all of those fantastic PhDs who are queuing up the insights, but if you put them in front of an executive, would spew all kinds of p-values and props and evars and things that executives don't really care about because they don't really tell the story. Instead, you need communicators who are going to make that bridge. They understand what the data scientists are saying, but they can communicate it into the context of the business. And at the stage most companies are today, People haven't grown up with an eye for data. They are still very much looking at information and making their own stories out of it, sometimes loading in their own biases along the way. So we have a responsibility to put these people in place who can clarify what that data really means. What was that analysis designed to answer? And even though it may talk about something else over on this other graph or chart, that's not really what the analysis was designed to say and therefore to take it out of context is not the right way to interpret it. You need this again and again and again across the organization to just be of service to your organization to provide that kid glove treatment. So I won't go into more on that now because we've got some fantastic guests who are going to kick off this topic. Uh, First up is going to be Leah Pika who talks about the visualization of data and then we're going to get some fantastic stories on data disasters right after that. So I'm really looking forward to that series coming up next. Now, I hope this has given you a taste of why you should tune in to the Customer Equity Accelerator and what you might gain by listening. I'd love to get your feedback. I'd love to get your questions. So please feel free to reach out to me. I'm Allison at AmbitionData.com or you can check out the AmbitionData.com website. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter at Aheartso. That's at A-H-A-R-T-S-O-E. So thank you so much for tuning in today. As always, everything I've talked about, every reference will be on ambitiondata.com slash podcast. And remember, when you use your data effectively, you can do this. You can build customer equity. It's not magic. It's just a very specific journey that you can follow to get results. Thank you for joining today's show. This is Allison. Just a few things before you head out. Every Friday, I put together a short bulleted list of three to five things I've seen that represent customer equity signal, not noise. And believe me, there's a lot of noise out there. I actually call this email the signal. Things I include could be smart tools I've run across, articles I've shared, cool statistics, or people and companies I think are doing amazing work building customer equity. If you'd like to receive this nugget of goodness each week, you can sign up at ambitiondata.com and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoy the signal. See you next week on the Customer Equity Accelerator.